Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 377. My name is Brando. Completely honored today to have Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, a legendary guitarist, Jeff. Skunk Baxter from the Doobie Brothers, from uh, Steely Dan. Welcome, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you for your hospitality. I, I first have to say, I as a beard guy myself, I, I appreciate yours. It's very, <laughs> you're a very handsome beard. I hope because mine is starting to get a little white. I hope mine looks as good as yours. No, no, you look very youthful. Yes, uh, me, however, yes. <laughs> well, since you are a, a let's just call it a seasoned veteran, and you're going to get this Thank question uh, a lot today because people who listen to my podcast know that, yeah, I have guests. Uh, sometimes I'll talk to them for half an hour or an hour, but sometimes, like with you today, talking to you briefly because you're part of a radio tour. So after you're done with me, my job as a radio producer, I put that hat on, and I'm going to connect you to like, like 15 radio stations across the country. So I usually. I'm at the end of that list, so I usually hear all the questions first. <laughs> but now okay. I'm going to ask first, and I, I bet you're going to hear this all the time. What took you so long to put out a solo album? Well, I guess uh, one of the one of the mitigating factors would be I've always felt that it was a little disingenuous to put out a solo album as soon as you leave a number of successful bands. You know, I, maybe it's the record company says, "Oh yeah, well." Oh, we got to do this right away, et cetera, et cetera. Just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Plus, there were other things to do. There was a ton of studio work to do. There was a lot of producing to do. I don't know. I just thought I'd give it some time. And uh, I had gotten together with my uh, music partner and good friend, CJ Vanston, and we talked about it. And then we just decided that when we could get together, when our schedules would permit, we would see what we could do, see what happened. And so it did take a while, simply because you know, both of us were pretty uh, heavily penciled in, as they say. And after, gosh, the first track was dated in 1989. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we just took our time. And I thought when the time was right, it's that, uh, I guess it's like you fill a, a jar with pennies and finally hmm. the jar gets full and you got to roll them up, take them to the bank and start all over again. So I guess we got to that point. That's a good analogy. I appreciate that. So how long do you think you started putting in those pennies? How long do you think this, this whole project has taken? Well, we did little bits and pieces way back in, like I say, the late, you know, the last part of the 80s. Right. And then probably about four years ago, we started realizing that we're, yeah, the job was almost full and maybe we should really finish it off. You know, you're such a, being such a, a successful 
a studio musician and obviously being a rock and roll hall of famer. Is it an interesting pivot for you to be the main guy to put your voice on there? Cause you have a great voice, but you're not typically known for that. You're usually kind of one of the guys in the background. So it's kind of like, Whoa, that's his voice. I, I wish I heard more of this for longer. Well, you're too kind, <laughs> but thank you for the compliment. Um, I, yeah, I thought I'd take a shot. It really was all it's Steve Tyler who convinced me to do it. Um, but thank you very much for the, uh, for the compliment. And yeah, I'm going to give it a try or do a little bit more of it. Was there, is there more pressure though, to be the main guy, to be up front for you to have your, because again, you're usually part of an ensemble, Steely Dan or Doobie Brothers or being part of, you know, jamming out sessions. Is it more pressure for you to be the, the, literally the face of it? Your face is on the cover. Um, and it, yeah, that is an interesting question. I haven't really noticed it, and I'm not trying to be cute. <laughs> I just, I, you know, do the job. I'm, I'm that kind of guy. I'm a journeyman in a sense. Hmm. You know, show up, open the chart, plug in, play, go home, no matter what it is. They all, the hard part has been the logistics of taking a band out on the road, et cetera, et cetera. That's probably been the biggest challenge. Okay. Um, another question would be, because chances are I'm probably going to be the um, the youngest on this radio tour. It just, it is what it is. I'm, I'm 39. Uh, but what does it mean to you? Because I still grew up on Doobie Brothers music and, and it, on your music in general. Uh, but what does it mean to you when maybe people my age or the fact that you have all these classic rock stations, these legendary radio people that want to talk to you still in 2022, that people still very much care? what Skunk Baxter is up to. Well, what can I say? I mean, it beats being a serial killer, right? <laughs> yes. And the fact that anybody is really interested in what I have to say always kind of amazes me. But it is complimentary, and it makes me feel like maybe the body of work that I've been involved in for, my God, 60-some years uh, may have some validity. And then the fact that people like it I could bring joy and uh, happiness and, and and make people's lives a little bit better with the music. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's probably a better way to go than, you know, being a, you a know, a serial killer. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh <laughs> yes, I, I would imagine. So it'd be better than uh, being a serial killer. <laughs> you know, I, I gotta ask, because as I, I mentioned at the beginning, this is uh, in addition to, uh, being the radio tour producer, after this interview's over, I have to kind of edit your answers and put them on a prep service for other people. So that's part of my job. And then I also have, again, that Guns N' Roses podcast, this Guns N' Roses podcast, where I look for a six degrees of GNR bacon, as I call it. I'm sure you've heard the Kevin Bacon phrase, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Mm -hmm. So I would see what connection does my guest have to Guns N' Roses. So, and perhaps you can tell me that you have more. Just looking through pictures, obviously I've looked through a lot of Guns N' Roses slash pictures. It was, I don't know, some uh, 2014 or something like that. You were jamming with Slash and Richie Sambora uh, on stage at a NAMM show. And there's this one photo that you're just you're staring at Slash's guitar. like Almost like you're watching what he's doing. So I'm curious, uh, what experiences do you have maybe other than that with Slash? And what do you think of him as a guitar player? Because I found it interesting. He should be watching you learning from you, but I, I, I know it's only a photo, 
It was only a moment of time, but you were staring at him, like almost watching him play. And I'm like, wow, that's, you know, this rock, he's a rock and roll hall of famer too, but I don't know. I always get a kick out of that when these two legends, one staring at the other, still learning, it seems. Well, number one, at that particular moment, I was kind of the music director for that segment. So I pay attention to everyone, what they're doing to make sure that I sort of on top of what's going on and what's about to happen. Uh, number two, Slash is a good friend. We've been friends for a long time. And I'm actually helping him learn pedal steel. Hmm. Uh, he came, he asked me some time ago that he wanted to learn to play pedal steel. And that's, first of all, that's a hell of a commitment <laughs> in terms of time and effort. As a, non, yeah. as a non-musician, what does that mean? I'm not sure what that means. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the pedal steel guitar, but it's a fairly complex instrument. Mm -hmm. um, it's an instrument that you can actually alter the tuning while you're playing. Mm. You have foot pedals that raise and lower strings. You have knee levers that raise and lower strings. You have up levers that raise and lower strings. It's basically the difference probably between driving a car and flying an airplane. <laughs> wow, okay. And it's to me, it's the most beautiful instrument ever, ever. I love the way it sounds and I love what you can do with it. And so when he asked me if I'd help him, I said, absolutely. And Slash is a very talented player. I love his acoustic guitar playing. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people don't have as much probably knowledge of that. I think he's a, he's a well-rounded player. And the fact that he wanted to take on pedal steel, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's going to be a really great steel player. See, that's, that's fascinating. You know, somebody who's accomplished as him, that there's something that they haven't learned yet and they get a learner from you. And it's, uh, yeah, I love that. And I love his acoustic material. I, I've kind of just said on my podcast, uh, that I would love for them to put out an acoustic album or do an acoustic set during their, their show. Um, but yeah, um, that, that, that's really cool. I see those are the kind of questions I like finding out, you know, cause he's somebody that you learn, you hear that still practices hours each day and then doesn't rest on his laurels. So is that yeah. something that you do that is accomplished as you are? Do you still practice? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Cause but I'm curious. Hmm. I'm still interested. I'm still curious about what, what more about the guitar is on this pathway. You know, how, how many stops can I make? Mm. Do you find it to be a, um, a lost art in a way in today's music? You mean practicing? No, um, maybe I should specify not practicing so much, but just being a, um, a guitar hero. Let's, let's say it like that because <laughs> you, they, I forget the name of the band, but they had to cancel an, um, a festival date because they forgot their laptops and they couldn't play. And it's just like, you know, how do you not go out there with a guitar? I don't see many guitar heroes. And I think that's why somebody, I don't want to keep saying young. I still, in my mind, I'm, I'm 19, but I'm, I'm going to be 40 in, in a few months. Uh, but someone as quote unquote young as me is still prefers classic rock and guitar driven rock as opposed to and bluesy rock, you know, Doobie Brothers, Steely Dan. I prefer that than the, the newer stuff. So do you feel like that's almost a lost art? being a true musician uh, or being a guitar hero? 
Well, I could posit that what you're referring to is the difference between maybe five, four or five uh, folks just playing together and and what we have come to accept in the in the world of modern music, uh, computer driven, uh, electronic uh, supported music. So there is a difference. And maybe what you're feeling is the difference between having a milkshake with 20% Hershey's chocolate syrup and 60% Hershey's chocolate syrup, where the, the less technological support there is, the more the heart and soul of the musicians who are do, doing the performance maybe comes out. Maybe that's what you're feeling. And that's a great analogy. Wow. I've never heard a chocolate syrup analogy, but I, I relate to it. I, it's, I really, that's, that's just brilliant. That's why you're a rock and roll Hall of Famer, not just your brilliant guitar playing, but your way with words. You're, you're very kind. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So uh, I'm really excited for you to, and, and the rest of the world to hear uh, your new album. And by the way, do you prefer, because you called me, we, we spoke briefly last night, and you're like, hey, it's Baxter. Do you prefer Baxter? Do you prefer Skunk? Uh, Mr. Skunk, like, how do people refer to you? How do your friends refer to you as? Most of my friends refer to me as Skunk, and it's really it's my call sign too. Okay. So, for my day job, even uh, General Raymond refers to me as Skunk. Skunk, yeah. I love it. Very cool. Uh, well, Skunk, thank you so much for your time today, and. We're not going anywhere. We got a whole tour to do and talk more about uh, your your debut uh, solo album, which sounds, again, so weird, debut solo album with somebody so accomplished as you. Uh, just brilliant. So Speed of Heart, excuse me, Speed of Heat comes out uh, June 17th. Oh, it already came out. It already came out. It's out, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, oh, we've yeah, been, yeah. Oh, it's been doing fairly well, actually. Uh, who knew? Yeah, no, forgive me, because sometimes when I get these things, I mean, I listen to the album. I thought I was getting like a sneak preview already. And it's just like, okay, it's like a new album already. So look at this. I, I <laughs> That's the unfortunate side of being the first person to interview you. I'm like, oh, I would have learned that along the way, and it would have sounded stupid. So, well, congratulations no on the album being out. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I never cease to amaze myself that no matter how much prep I do, I will find a way to make myself look like an ass. My eyes played tricks on me, thought the album was coming out next June. And I'm like, I had the whole album uh, to stream in front of me. And I'm like, all right, because it's already got a, a preview. I'm like a bit early for a whole album preview, but sure. And I didn't realize this was like the second cycle of something. And clearly I didn't do enough prep. That's what it comes down to. I do prep, not enough. I embarrass myself. Hopefully you enjoy it regardless. But, and it also it was a, a great conversation. That guy, uh, Skunk is brilliant. Like legit brilliant. The word genius gets thrown around now from people who are not geniuses, but Jeff Baxter may be a genius, not just musically, but he has consulted with Congress on mil uh, missile defense. So he is a physics genius. On the cover of his new album, newish since it's been out, <laughs> uh, in the back there are math equations, physics equations. Brilliant, literally brilliant. Love it, love it. So hopefully we'll get him on again to talk more about 
math, <laughs> maybe, or more about Slash and go way in depth into. He he was involved in some of the uh, of Steely Dan's biggest hits. I mean, that's a. I gotta say, it's it's really cool what I'm able to do with this Appetite for Distortion podcast because yeah. Guns N' Roses' favorite band, but and and I'm going back to how I got into GNR. It all starts stems from listening to classic rock radio with my dad and Steely Dan and Doobie Brothers Staples. I remember uh, as vivid as anything else listening to Ricky Don't Lose That Number in my dad's uh, Honda Red Pontiac. Uh, so it's just very very cool to get to speak with with, with Skunk. And something else, another influence that I got from my dad and something else I haven't been able to speak about on the podcast yet, but will, is classical music, orchestral music. At length, at, at some point, maybe after Thanksgiving, let's say that. So you may know, you may, if you're listening to this podcast, you do know that the 2022 version of November Rain is out. It's going to be on the, the box set, which some of you have already gotten i saw that there was a listener in france it might be gnr france the the fan site that did an unboxing and it's just just like with you know it's another single from the box that's coming out so it's based it's the recording the original recording remixed with a real orchestra remixed by steve wilson yes the steve wilson and the conductor christopher leonard's I believe I'm saying that right, and I'll be able to correct that because he agreed to an interview. So in a few weeks, uh, Christopher uh, Lennertz, who did the, um, who or I guess it was his 50-piece orchestra. We're going to find it out, how it was all put together. Really excited for that. And as far as other interviews to come uh, before the end of the year, there is one other big announcement I want to say. I don't want to say it yet. I'll give you a hint. It's a repeat guest but one of our bigger repeat guests. Somebody that we've had on the phone and should get on Zoom this time. I don't want to say it because I've just become weary lately of announcing things before they happen because sometimes they don't work out. I usually like saying things before they happen because I want to get you involved. So uh, Christopher Lernertz, he um, he responded to some stuff on, on, on Twitter, so some people already know that he's coming on, so no worries there. So if you have questions about the new... November rain, please feel free to to reach out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Yes, I have sold my soul and have joined TikTok. I didn't get it. I didn't want to get it. And then I just thought to myself one day, I was also the last person to join MySpace I was the last person to join Facebook, the last person to get a Twitter. Why do I need a Twitter? Why do I need an Instagram? I said that about all of these things. And I'm on all of these things. I hate that I need to, but with what I do, it's, 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 it's important. I need to do it. I, need, it's, I, feel, I still feel, even though you, the bad apple, the appetite for distortion listener, many of you have been there since episode one. So many have not heard about us. I'm still getting, oh, how am I just finding out about this? So TikTok is another way. And I'm finding it out pretty quickly how it kind of works. So 
certainly I'm not starting any trends on TikTok and I'm not doing any original content. Like I'm not doing any dances or maybe you'll see cat videos, but I'm just taking the highlights that you'll see on YouTube, on our YouTube channel that I'll post on Twitter, on, on our other social media platforms that are a minute and a half to two and a half, maybe no short Twitter only allows two minutes and 20 seconds of a video. So it's usually that or shorter. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just start throwing those up on, on TikTok. So for an example of just me being blown away, let me see if I can uh, see if it's been updated. So there was an interview that I did with Henry Rollins. You remember, may remember uh, a few years ago, one of the, those quick interviews like I did today was with skunk about, it was a documentary he did called punk and, and Duff and Kagan was involved with that as well. And we spoke about Duff. We spoke about the first time he saw guns and roses. So it was just like a two minute clip. And in the, year that it was on YouTube, just not the whole full interview, just a clip, 400 views, whatever. TikTok, four days, 10,000 views, 10,000 in four days. The 10,000, by the way, is more than any clip, not episode, because I have a couple episodes my um, that are, what was it? The the suspect two oh eight with uh, Wyland uh, with Noah Wyland and London Hudson that has a high amount of thousands, like thirty thousand. Uh, there's another one that I did as uh, oh yeah, a Fat Mike of No Effects that has like twenty k or something. This in four days has more views as the third and most amount of views that I've seen of like anything that I've ever done just on TikTok. I posted my interview with Ricky Rackman, just a two minute clip of him talking about. Axel, his long lost friendship with Axel, it's approaching 10K. I can't believe it. I mean, not every clip is like that. You know, at this point, I have like maybe 30 clips up there, you know, but each one has hundreds of views, which is just way more than YouTube. Way more. The only problem is so if you're on TikTok, please follow. <laughs> so, YouTube is how it breaks down. YouTube, you need a thousand subscribers to start monetizing. I got that. TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, you need 10,000. Facebook, I'm more than halfway there. Instagram, about halfway there. Basically halfway there. Just a couple hundred right now on TikTok, which is pretty good for having it for like maybe a week or so. So I, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. So if you have TikTok, it's a real fun way to just look back on all the highlights. A fun and easy way to look back on all the highlights of this podcast. But the way that'll help me make the cash right now, the cents on the dollar, is YouTube. So please uh, follow and subscribe on YouTube. Especially since another thing that I did during these couple weeks in between AFD interviews is AFH. Appetite for horror. Yes, I've been thinking about this for such a long time. I spend not just my free time on Guns N' Roses stuff, so much of it watching horror movies. You know that if you listen to this podcast. I love horror movies. I've just seen hundreds, if not thousands, uh, low thousands. I don't know. I, it all blurs. There was just a period, maybe when I first started this podcast or right before it. I'm just like, when I was trying to figure out when I... I didn't have anything really going on in my life other than work 
and I started watching so many horror movies, man. And and and, and who knows? I'm gonna say it. Maybe this is the way to interview Del James. Maybe this is the way to interview Slash. I don't know. We'll see. I don't care. I mean, if it happens here or Appetite for Distortion, we'll see what happens before the end of the the year because I don't like bringing it up. Some of you don't like when I bring it up, but I hear the lisp when I talk. I really want to go full throttle when I get my front tooth back. I'm also moving. Uh, still in Queens, still going to be in Queens, New York, just somewhere else. To, you may know the town, Forest Hills, even if you're not local, because that's where the Ramones are from. They're famously from Forest Hills, Queens. I don't think I'm moving into Joey Ramones co-op, though. I'm going to be a homeowner, man. That's crazy. So it's going to be cool going into a place, knowing, having a radio station in mind, knowing I'm working from home. Unlike where this was feel, feel my quarantine, where I've had to make this DIY studio at home, which has worked really well, but it'll be cool next year to A, get one of my front teeth back and B, kind of have like a go in with a plan for a home studio. So have like a, a new look, a new shine for Appetite for Distortion 2023, but still this year is, is not done. And this episode is not done. So I want you to stick around. I'm going to give you a, a, a taste. Well, not a taste. I'm going to give you the whole thing. The first episode of Appetite for Horror. It has its own RSS feed, <laughs> if you know what that means. So you can follow and subscribe to this podcast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. You can find it on the Appetite for Distortion YouTube channel as well. So you can watch this interview as well on Appetite for Distortion. But Appetite for Horror is on all the usual podcast platforms. First interview is with actor, producer. He was the first assistant director on the brand new Terrifier 2. You may have heard about this film, even if you're not a horror fan, because it's making all sorts of news by causing its its audience members to throw up <laughs> in the theater. Yes, that is what I like to hear. So just a, a heads up, if you haven't seen Terrifier Terrifier 2, or the short, that's how geeky I am, a Guns N' Roses geek and a horror geek, uh, All Hallows' Eve, Art the Clown is a brutal killer. These movies are really done well. It's not just a schlocky uh, slasher film. They're, the blood, guts, gore, all of that, but they're really well done in Terrifier 2. I'm looking forward to talking to Michael Levy. I should probably say his name. <laughs> Michael Levy, uh, he he was an actor in the first one, got his head chopped off, and he became the assistant director, first assistant director of Terrifier 2, and, and more things to come. So, and, and just to keep you enticed, I do ask his favorite Guns N' Roses song. Plus, the music for Appetite for Horror is provided by Steve Darrow of Hollywood Rose. How about that? One of the our, our most favorite episodes. We did nearly three hours with Steve Darrow. He wasn't he wasn't sure, but no one has proven him wrong that he may be the one that told Bill Bailey to call himself Axel Rose. He spoke about those early days of being Rose with Izzy Stradlin and a great episode. So yeah, he if you remember that episode, he when he works on like he has a, a project called Sister Midnight, 
that makes kind of reimagining and remixes and and he does his musician thing with old kind of horror TV uh, scores or shows or it's like it's really interesting that you, he just puts all these different sounds together and puts music and and yeah so that is the music that I well I I have Mike Squires from Loaded doing Appetite for Distortion I got Steve Darrow from Hollywood Rose doing Appetite for Horror. You like that. All right, so stick around for that. But when are you going to see the next episode of Appetite for Distortion? Well, the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy. You'll see it, I don't know, as soon as the word. Appetite for Horror. You think that guy's still out there? What's up with you and this clown all of a sudden? You're like obsessed. They never found his body. What if he decides to come back here? I wouldn't worry about it. Wait a minute. Aren't you that guy from the costume shop? Sir, what are you doing? It wasn't me. He was covered in blood on his shirt and his hands when he got here. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Horror. Episode number one. The debut episode, my name is Brando. I am really excited to do this because I, I just find myself more than anything else in my spare time, much this, to the chagrin of my wife, watching horror movies. You know, we, uh, we get along with a lot of things, but that's she'll go in the other room. She doesn't even want to hear it. So when I told her that I was re-watching Terrifier and then re-watching Terrifier 2, Michael Levy, <laughs> I, uh, I had to put the headphones on like I'm wearing right now. <laughs> I couldn't even like, uh, listen to it in another room. So I'm honored to have you on our debut episode, Michael Levy, actor, uh, producer. I'm, I believe you probably have a lot more titles. And I want to get to know you in addition to talking about Terrifier. But uh, just thank you for joining us, uh, Michael Levy. I'm honored to be here and uh, really honored to be your first guest. That's really exciting. Congratulations on the, the new podcast. And I'm the same way. Um, I'm lucky that my wife has now adapted to it where she'll join in on the horror films with me. That wasn't always the case, but uh, now it just seems to be our go to. It's, you know, and again, I love comedy and stuff like that, but it's always, hey, we sit down and I just start, you know, shuffling through the the horror stuff. And um, so I'm right there with you, bud. <laughs> this is a, a spinoff podcast of something I do, Appetite for Distortion and Guns N' Roses podcast. And, you know, my wife's favorite band is Dave Matthews. My favorite band is GNR. She'll come to GNR shows. We'll, we'll, we'll meet there. I've, I've tried Dave Matthews. It's not for me, but whatever. Horror, she needs some convincing. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? It's not so bad. Okay? Maybe it's one of those, like, house... Uh, it's not the house in Haunted Hill, but one of those... Uh, I'm just trying to think of those Netflix series that have been coming out lately. Blumhouse or... I'm, I can't think of the name right now. Watcher. I haven't, Watcher. Seen, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen that. I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. That might be something your your wife can get into. It's not too, you know, too gruesome or any of that stuff. It's a good story. It's very dramatic as well. So maybe easy. And there's a lot of comedy actors in that involved in that. Um, so maybe that's a good that's a good one to, to to come together on. Actually, a better example, more fresh in my mind is the uh, the cabinet of, of of secrets. So not the cabinet yes. of, uh, you know, the Guillermo del Toro. Thing. Yes. Yes, I just started that recently. And yeah, it's in some episodes, I'm like, whoa, this is pretty brutal and great. Like uh, with, uh, what's her name? Uh, Mikuchi, uh, Kate Mikuchi, Mikuchi. She's great. And But there are some, she was here. They had the dude from Harry Potter. And she's like, this is fantasy. This is nothing. So, 
but I told her Terrifier is something that you can't watch. So I, as I, <laughs> so I'm, yeah. ex- I'm, I'm excited to talk about this movie, but I want to get into your history as I'm getting to know you just a little bit as we're opening this, this episode, opening this, this podcast. Uh, you're kind of a local boy. I'm in Queens right now. I grew up in uh, Long Island, born in Brooklyn. You're Staten Island, right? Yes, that's correct. I'm I'm from Staten Island, born and raised. So right here in New York, one of the five boroughs. And, uh, you know, got my start off of stealing my mom's uh, video camera when I was a kid. And with my brother, we would make home movies and uh, shoot them with neighborhood kids. And uh, I used to scroll paper towel rolls after typing the credits on uh, my grandmother's typewriter and used to put them on the paper towel roll and film it and pull it. So this way I would get a scroll. Never knew how to edit, never knew any of that. So it was all done in camera. Um, Really, really enjoyed acting and producing and directing. And and that's really, you know, where I kind of started shifting in my career was a lot of directing stuff. Uh, went to Monsignor Farrell High School, which is a local high school here in Staten Island. I ran my high school television TV studio and started doing skits and short films there. Went on to college and continued doing short films and started to take it seriously as a career. Um, partnered up with not only my brother, but uh, somebody that I actually went to grammar school with and high school and college, uh, Steve Delasala, who they're all part of the Terrifier universe now as well. And, um, you know, directed short films, shot short films, acted in short films, produced, and uh, did our first feature of Normal Attraction with Malcolm McDowell, Gilbert Gottfried, Tyler Mayne, Leslie Easterbrook, Bruce Davison. Um, really great cast. It was kind of a horror comedy. And uh, from there, got involved with the Terrifier franchise, and then things just, you know, took off. <laughs> and uh, so so here we are and and uh, I'm someone who like you said yeah I'm an actor I'm a producer but I'm also a director of of some of my own stuff and uh, I just love the the genre I love the business and uh, it's something that I always knew that I, I wanted to do was born to do and there was no option B for me what would you say comes first is there a hat I mean you you literally are wearing a hat right now but it doesn't say anything <laughs> on it but is there a hat you wear just first the, the fuzz on the lens logo right there that's it like, yeah <laughs> like, your, your company logo. exactly you know that was my way of segueing um, <clears throat> getting you a plug in there but is it yes. acting did you always want to be behind the camera like what did Start, you, what do you remember like, I guess when you first saw your horror movie did you know like what you wanted to be within that world right always was attracted to acting um I guess everyone is because that's what you see right? And if someone was, to, someone was to put a gun to my head and say, you can only do one, I would choose acting because it's the most fun. But if I know where I'm best at, and that is really directing and um, producing, but I, I don't like producing as much because there's a lot more stress. Directing, you have a lot more create, you know, creative control. And, and so really directing is what I'm best suited for. And that's what I like to do the most. Um, but again, if someone's put the gun to my head, the most fun is definitely acting, but I'd say a hybrid of those two. Well, somebody didn't put a, a gun to your head, but they put, <laughs> they put a, a saw to your head. Hold on. Hold on. I think I, I got it right here in my virtual background. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> your head being sawed off by Art the Clown, which is, that's, right. <laughs> that's the beauty of Zoom. If you're watching this on a YouTube channel, I'm putting this on the Appetite for Distortion YouTube channel and a separate appetite for a horror uh, thing on all your, where you get your favorite podcast. But that, tell me about that scene. I want to ask about that because you go from an actor, especially from, uh, from Terrifier 1, where it's uh, Will the Exterminator, right? Or uh, like a maintenance man, right? Yep. And, and then from this to the second one, where you're the first assistant director. 
So I would love to follow that path a little bit. But if you can tell me about the initial getting involved in this project, because there are a lot, a lot of killer clown movies out there. My favorite movie of all time happens to be Killer Clowns from Outer Space. So there's a bar. I mean, I know it's different, but not really. I mean, because hmm, it's, it's interesting when I see Art the Clown. Okay, so I saw the first one, if, if I may, before you go, you know, I'll learn more about you. I, I think it was on Netflix, the first one, when I first saw it. And Netflix is really hit or miss. And I don't know why, maybe I'm desensitized. Once you've seen a Serbian film, once you've seen the Human Centipede trilogy, it's like you're immune. But wow, the terrifiers stay with me. Wow, wow. I mean, especially that scene, if people know, you know. You should, spoiler alert for a movie that's a few years old. Yeah, you know, you're, you're making the shape. Stuck with me. And of course, go back to watch All Hallows' Eve and to see the, the creation of this character and the violence and over the top and just, it may scare some people off because there are horror fans I see out there. I mean, while overwhelmingly this is successful, duh. But just like, whoa, this is even a lot for me. Not for me, me, Brandon. But so like, what did you think when you got involved? Yeah, so it's interesting, my path to getting involved and becoming really a major hitter with the Terrifier franchise is interesting. So I mentioned the Abnormal Attraction. I was directing that film, again, a horror comedy, and uh, our sound guy and producer, Jason Milstein, said to us, hey, I have this producer um, that would love to come by. He's just getting into the film business. He was a Wall Street guy and... Um, He's directing his own film called Joe's War. And, uh, you know, he wants to come down and see what you guys are doing. I told him that uh, it's really incredible and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So I said, sure, bring him. So he came to set and he came to actually a really cool um, week that we were doing. We were building our own monster village and we had uh, huge structures and buildings. And, and it was just really like you stepped into the woods where we were shooting and you really felt like you were in this um, this monster world. Hmm. And so he was really impressed, thankfully, and had told us, hey, you know, I'm working on this film called Joe's War, and it's about a veteran with PTSD. It stars Amanda Sante and stars Ed Asner and um, and uh, Tom Sizemore okay. and uh, shooting it here on Staten Island. And, uh, you know, a veteran is near and dear, close to his heart. And so the suicide rate. So he says, you know, really want to uh, bring you guys on board. Um, we're at the end of it. But, you know, if you guys can come on board and help. So we did. We, we, we came on board and we helped him finish the project. And while I was there, his son, this is Phil Falcone. And his son, um, Joe, was talking about another movie that Phil was getting involved in called Terrifier. And uh, he was um, producing that and working with a director, Damien Leone, from Staten Island. And had I, ever, had I ever heard of Art the Clown and All Hallows' Eve? And being a horror fan, I was kind of embarrassed. I had not at that point in time. And so his son was the one who was pitching it to us. And uh, we just hit it off with Phil. So Phil was like, hey, we'd like to bring you on board as crew at first. And, uh, you know, help us, you know, get this film to the finish line and whatever. So we came on board initially as as crew and we were doing sound and we were doing um, second unit stuff and helping with lighting and whatever. And um, what happened was they were looking to beef up some of the kills in the movie. Well, before that, actually, Damien was looking for two cops at the end of the film. And so Phil was pitching me as an actor. He says, you know, Mike's an actor and um, 
Steve De La Salle is an actor and his brother Jason's an actor, whatever. And he goes, why don't they audition for the, the stuff? They're in-house, they're part of the crew, and this would just be easy. Mm-hmm. So um, we sent the tape into Damien, uh, and I got the role as the cop at the end at first. Okay. And Steve got the role of um, the other cop, so we were going to do it. And then somehow, some way, the stars aligned, and Damien wanted to do another kill scene. He says, you know, we want to do something really cool. We want to do, like, one of the most gruesome awesome decapitation beheading scenes in cinema history where you actually see it. You don't cut away. Mm-hmm. You see it. And he goes, um, would you, you know, you have the acting chops and the ability of what I'm looking for, for this role. Would you do it? And at first I was really nervous to do it. Cause I actually had a bad head casting experience um, in the past with another film we were doing. So I, I opened up to Damien about this, but he was really cool in the way he talked about it. Um, and he says, you're in good hands. And I just felt a lot of trust there. So I said, you know what, let's just do it. For me, it was overcoming that fear and also something cool. Like if you're going to be in a horror movie, I feel like you got to go out, you got to die in a cool way. So mm-hmm. I felt that this was a really great, I can't believe I even debated it for like a second, but, um, in knowing what happened, but I says, yeah, I'll do it. And then I said, but that cop role that is now open, would you mind if you want someone with similar abilities of my brother, Jason, I'd love, uh, you know, to have him a part of this and the acting part. And Damien says, yeah, absolutely. So Jason ended up getting that part and I ended up getting Will the Exterminator. So from there, it was just, um, again, working crew on Terrifier 1 and being acting in in it. uh, We just hit it off, all of us, Damien, Phil, me, Jason, Steve, George, and became really good friends. And then when it came part to doing Terrifier 2 and Damien knowing my background and our background in producing and, you know, directing and things like that. He says, we want to bring you on board in a much bigger capacity. You in? I said, oh, hundred <laughs> percent. So, um, you know, hammered out the details. And then before you know it, we're there on set and we're producers and we're, I'm an assistant director. And um, my brother, Jason and Steve are, are working, you know, lighting and gaffing and gripping and casting. And Jason was the casting director. And, and so it just kind of all fell into place. Um, and again, we got closer through that experience and, and now we're just, Keep moving forward with other films. We went into, I'm sure we'll get to it. We went into another film right after called Stream. And this was a film I'm directing. It's got a ton of horror icons in it from Jeffrey Combs to Danielle Harris, Tim Reed, Tony Todd, D. Wallace from E.T., Felissa Rose, um, people I can't talk about. Terry Kaiser, we just announced from Weekend at Bernie's is involved. (laughs) So it's a monster cast of Mark Holton from Leprechaun, Dave Sheridan from Scary Movie. I mean, I'm, I'm forgetting there's just so many Terry Alexander from Days of the Dead. So it's a monster cast of um, horror icons and greats and uh, scream queens. And um, I couldn't be more proud and excited of this film. It's our next thing from the producers of Terrifier 2. Damien does all the effects on this as well. Um, So we love working together and uh, we're going to continue working together and and on all different kinds of projects. And we've really formed a, a great, not only friendship, but a great business working relationship as well. Awesome. I love the the juxtaposition, big word, of how brutal this film is and the family atmosphere that it, <laughs> that it takes to build this, you know, the love and the care that goes into it and just to destroy it all. There but- is. It's so bizarre. <laughs> There's a lot of fun on set. I mean, we're we're dancing, we're laughing. I mean, it's Terrifier set is one of the most funniest. You'd think we'd make it a comedy. It's we're we're constantly making jokes, we're constantly laughing, we're constantly having a good time. 
And then we get to work and we shoot and there's gruesome, horrible things that are happening on screen. And then we laugh about it. And I think you could kind of see that come across the screen um, with even how Art enjoys what he's doing, right? And that's kind of the atmosphere we're in that Art's in when he's doing these brutal, brutal things on screen. It is amazing. And that's a good transition as I'm going to slightly change my background. Hold on. <laughs> I have the perfect, I was rewatching it yesterday. Right. Where he exactly stabs you in the head and your your eyes are just going back. So but the transition I want to go into is as an actor where you are, this is a brutal, brutal, violent kill. And there's no joke. And what I love about these films and about horror films in general, what I kind of look for is I'm not I'm not a horror snob, but just as a fan. You can have all the blood and guts and gore, and it could be really boring. And it's just like, okay, I'm seeing blood and guts and, and gore. But these movies, these films, Art the Clown, the, the, the actor, makes you feel like you are the person being hurt. The way it's shot. I think that was one of the first things I noticed about the first one is just the way that it's shot. It doesn't look like a B-movie. You know, I told him my favorite movie of all time is a B-movie. So I have a, an affinity towards that. It's not shot like a B-movie. It's shot, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's how serious it is that you guys were nominated recently by <laughs> Bloody Disgusting. Uh, yeah, for an Oscar, I know. It's it's crazy. It's like we're waking up every day in the Twilight Zone. Um, <laughs> this is the. It's so funny because this is the exact movie I would tell people, well, you know, we're not making an Oscar-nominated film. And then here we are now. It's official, as according to Variety. The Academy just announced that we are officially contenders to wow. be nominated and it listen it's i see no way in hell that we're ever going to get a nomination but it's just funny because now that we're contenders they have to the academy has to watch it and has to seriously consider it so imagine that right then we'll sit in there what a victory fired too um what a victory wow but yeah, so I mean, that's it's just an honor in and amongst itself and and it's kind of we're just having fun with it but you know it's real it's happening so We'll see what what happens, where it goes. So as an actor, and then I want to go to you as a director, how do you do that? You guys are laughing, having fun off camera. You know, obviously, sometimes I tell my wife, it's not real. These people aren't really being hurt. And I know that's why people were puking and throwing up in theaters. I have to imagine those are just, they went in expecting, like, I don't even know what they were expecting. Well, I think those are the people that never saw a Terrifier one. And yeah. they were just going because of the hype of, hey, this looks cool. I've heard of this. Um, you need to be prepared for yeah, a terrifier. Yeah. Um, because of how gruesome it is. But you have to also realize that this is fantasy because the kills go on so excruciatingly long. The kills are so crazily over the top and bizarre. The way art starts acting, like eventually you should realize, and that's why I think everyone kind of laughs too, that understands what we're doing is this is purely, uh, you know, kind of like a wink at the camera. It's over the top. It's excessive. It's fantasy. It's not real, you know, kind of things that are going on, but we try to shoot it in a realistic kind of way. Um, and that's where it comes with, I think, to your question of acting is how does it happen from going from laughing on set and then going into these gruesome things that are kind of happening and going mm -hmm. on. It's just a matter of taking that beat, taking that moment, getting in that headspace um, and realizing, OK, if this was happening to me or happening to the human body, how would I react? And for me, with the eyes rolling and the he sticks me in the top of the head with the knife. And to me now, he's in the nerves. He's in the brain. He's twisting. And what happens is your eyes and everything is all interlocked into your brain. So for me, it was like, 
And now I'm, I'm controlled, right, by him. And every moment he cocks back, my eyes are going because now my brain is scrambled. It's going haywire, right? And, and that's kind of the headspace I put myself in. And then a lot of the rest of it comes with Damien Leone's practical effects, makes it easy with the pieces. And then we, mm. we gradually go to the, the, uh, the head. The, I don't know if you could see that there. This is one of the versions of the production used uh, uh, prosthetic, the, the busts. Um, not the one that was stippled with the hair, but uh, one of the secondary ones. And, um, you know, then his editing skills. And it kind of all comes together just from being in that space and being in that element, being in that atmosphere. And it's just, hey, let's go to work. And then, boom, we cut out of it. And uh, it's like, okay, that was cool. Hmm. Um, what's, what's interesting in a fun behind-the-scenes story is, and I'm proud of this, Damien is not known to be someone who does one take. Damien does about 13, 14, 15, 16 takes. He's very meticulous. So Phil Falcone and myself, we had this little inside joke of um, after we do the first take and he gets one, you know, one decent one or one good one from me, I'm going to do something crazy and something so bizarre and funny for the bloopers. And, you know, we knew, hey, he's going to do like this 20 times. So we do the first take and I'm waiting for him and he goes, yeah, great cut moving on. We were like, what? <laughs> we were like, well, no, don't you want to do one more? And Phil's like, no, no, are you sure? Maybe, maybe the footage is corrupt. He's like, no, I got everything I needed. We couldn't believe. So I didn't even get to do my joke. If I was like, I was fine. I'm okay. Like as he's doing it. Um, that was the first time in history and still hasn't happened since that Damien had done a one take wonder. Now, I like to give that to credit to me. Maybe it was the actor, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> I believed <laughs> but, uh, it. I was like, I'm surprised he responded to my email. He's alive. All right. I really thought he died. <laughs> no, it, it's, so, it's, it's brilliant. And you can see the mindset is that, that you're not just, I don't want to say just an actor, forgive me, you know, but for lack of a better way of saying it, that you're, you're, you have the, the brain of a director. You can tell yeah. and why it works. And what I also loved about these films, the practical effects, because I will go back and I will look for an 80s movie sometimes before a new movie because CGI, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if it's horror or Ninja Turtles. It's just the CGI. It's something that takes me out of it. It no. does. I, I, the best example for me with that was the new It, Stephen King's It, mm. when Pennywise is, I'm a huge fan of the original Tim Curry. Now, I think the second, the uh, new film has, the kids are fantastic. The shots are beautiful. Um, you know, I wish Tim would have been involved in it, but yeah. that'll never happen. But um, the CG just pulled me out when his face just went so, I said, oh, that's fake. I see it. Now, the thing with CG is it, it it dates it because we're not there yet. Maybe Spielberg is, right? But these other films are not really there yet. And like you said, it totally just makes this thing feel fake to me. Um, totally pulls me out of the film. And it just doesn't have that realism that the practical will give you. And that's why I think people also with Terrifier 2 is, the general audience isn't used to practical effects anymore. There are certain people that thought we were really killing people in this movie. They thought it was grungy um, torture stuff. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's not. And so there's something, there's a charm about practical effects. And that's something I'm a huge proponent of. And even when you're there filming, there's something about getting covered in blood as much as I hate it when it's sticky and it's happening. <laughs> there's just something really visceral and, and, and this experience that just makes it come off on, on screen. And that's why I was so adamant when we did stream right after Terrifier 2 um, that we keep that intact and Damien brought his a game with the kills once again and we kept it all practical you know and, and that's something we're, we're going to continue to do at least horror films that i'm a part of good i mean uh, tom savini i mean that the, the, the legend that's i need that yeah otherwise yeah it takes me out of it so 
And what's great about Art the Clown, uh, David Howard Thornton, what makes, I think, him, and, and I want to hear your perspective on it, different. Because, yeah, there are like so many killer clown movies, but, of course, there are a lot of slasher movies. But if I look at Art the Clown versus, like, Jason Voorhees or Mike Myers, he could be slow, he can be fast, but it's not over the top. We're talking about being funny and making jokes. There are winks at the camera, but there's just like a, right after that. Wow, does he his facial expression turn it super? Just like right. whoa, right? Whoa, he can, like he can say go nothing. From, yeah, he can go from like to and write immediately on a dime, but you feel it. It doesn't feel forced, and that's a big credit to Dave, and that's a big credit to Damien and how he directs him. Um, but Dave is just a natural talent, uh, a lot of fun. It's interesting because he's known now for a guy or a clown, a character that does not speak. And he is someone that started his career in voice acting where he's talking <laughs> all the time. He's a huge, uh, he could do a ton of different voices and he's, um, he's, you know, over the top, really nice guy. And he's known for a brutal, brutal, silent killer. Um, and, you know, uh, seeing it firsthand and seeing what he brings to the character is something really special. Um, and, and you know, like we said, when the moment is supposed to be light and laughing, when he's got the eyes on and he's doing the, the playful thing. But I think that's what makes him so unique is that he's able to do that. And then that's just him kind of putting the salt and pepper on what on his steak, what he's about to fillet and eat and enjoy. You know, that's his tease. That's his foreplay. And then, boom, when he goes in, he goes in and he doesn't stop because he can't get enough. And I think that's what's so scary about Art the Clown as well. The only horror villain I could see even close to this and is Freddy, where he's enjoying his kills. But again, Freddy's able to talk and has those punches and those right. one liners. Right. David has to do this totally by facial expression. And it's a really, really hard to, to come across as for an actor um, because you're limited, but it just shows his range and what he's able to do because he brings out all through his facial expressions, all through his eyes, all through his posture. Um, and sometimes it just, you know, you got the right actor, you got the right director, you got the right part, and it just hits with the audiences. Uh, again, I loved it. And that's why I was so looking forward to Terrifier 2, which I, I got screen box. Uh, I've, I've watched it twice already and it's <laughs> what I love about it. Cause it's interesting. My friend, uh, my other horror friend, cause I have like one other friend that loves horror. He's like, have you seen it yet? You know, it's really good. But, uh, one complaint I hear and he's like, I don't feel this way is that it's too long, but it sets things up. And I'm like, okay. And I went into that and, and I wanted it to be longer because there are so many things that are set up. For the future, right. but before, I guess, because I know you can't tell us what may or may not be, I want to talk about the talent of the actors, not just David Howard Thornton, but where did you find Lauren Lavera, <laughs> right? Because, look, I, I just got married, happily married. Wow, I'm in love. She is. She <laughs> stole the screen. Her and She's incredible. And forgive all me, of them. they all are. But Because uh, I, I want to talk about her and I want to talk about the young boy, who played her brother, uh, Elliot. Jonathan. Yeah, Elliot, Elliot. Yeah, Jonathan, the character, Elliot, the actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> funny thing is, so Lauren Levera has been somebody that has been on Fuzz and the Lens Productions radar for quite some time. We've been, we she was friends, believe it or not, with somebody that we work with all the time, Jamie Root. And Jamie was an AD for me on stream. And so she's someone that we, we've just been keeping an eye on. And uh, uh, when it came time for <clears throat> Terrifier, coincidentally, she uh, uh, submitted for the role of Sienna. 
And uh, we said, oh, that's the girl. That's um, Lauren Levera. We've been keeping an eye on. So Jason, my brother, who was the casting director for Terrifier 2, had shown her uh, tape to Damien. And Damien fell in love immediately. And Damien's like, this is the girl. Jason's like, this is the girl. Um, so she came in for a few test screenings and things. Um, but it was just it was just known from the beginning. Like she knocked it out of the park and she was someone we kept saying like, Oh my God, she's going to take off after this film. No one understands until they see, uh, they see her, you know, really what, what this role entails and what she brings to it. Um, so it was just really, like I said, we saw her in a couple of, uh, short films through a friend of ours that knew her. She's a Philly girl. And, um, she knocked it out of the park with the audition. She submitted through actors access and, um, Jason and Damien, they made the call and they made the right call. And she really was incredible. As far as Elliot goes, um, <clears throat> Elliot has a YouTube channel and Elliot, um, little punk people. And he interviews, he does interviews all at the conventions. Oh, that's and who that kid is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Now I know who you're talking so, about. Wow. He's yeah, grown up. So, <laughs> yes. So uh, he loved horror, been doing it from the get go. And again, we, we've kind of known about him and his family. And uh, he submitted, again, through Actors Access. And um, he, again, knocked it out of the park. Our only concern originally was he was a little older than the role had uh, been written for. Mm. But it's clear that his acting chops, um, he deserved the role. And really so happy that we had went with him. Um, because it really got narrowed down to him and one other kid. And it just, it just, every time we kept coming back to, it was like, listen, are we really going to be hung up on the age right now? I mean, he is just really perfect for this part. So we went with Elliot and uh, the rest is history. Somebody else that I'd love to talk about that doesn't get enough credit, starting to get credit, but not enough is um, Kaylee Hyman, who plays Brooke. I think she is absolutely fantastic in her role. She's fun. She's bubbly. Um, and she's so real and in, in, in what she does. And also Wesley Holloway, who plays the Serial Kid commercial. Um, <laughs> be on the lookout for him. He is an incredible young man. He's an amazing young actor. Um, he actually is one of the leads in Stream. We ended up bringing him on board as our star. And I can't wait for everyone to see this kid's chops because, wow, Um you know, he's great and terrifier, but you don't really get to see him, you know, really what he can do and what he can showcase. And uh, he was another diamond in the rough that we found. And uh, I just can't wait for people to see him and what he can do in his career. So um, just really great cast and uh, honored that we ended up getting so lucky with the people that are involved in this project. And that's something else, too. Uh, a horror movie can be ruined. I mean, that might be the, the infamous thing about a lot of horror movies or the bad acting and sometimes and it just goes with par for the chorus, but this doesn't have it at, at all. You know, you believe it. And it's funny, as I'm watching the character Jonathan, get, he's a little kid. I'm like, and I, you know, I told you, I've seen the worst of the worst horror movies. I'm like, man, not him. And I'm feeling <laughs> bad. And I was like, save, you know, I, I'm not going to ruin anything. But it's, uh, it just made me feel for every single character and excited for what's to come. Uh, it, it's funny because you know, not to... There was like, I'll say this, this is like a whipping scene with him. Yeah. Um, and and I won't go any further than that, but it's funny because I got to do this, the double work for Dave on the whipping okay. scene. I, I got to whip Elliot uh, in the chapel there. And 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 what fun that was. <laughs> but him, he's bringing it. I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, go harder. It's fine. Just hit me as hard as you can. Oh, man. So, 
And Dave's sitting there and he's like, make me look good. Make me look good. He <laughs> keep hitting the little bastard. <laughs> oh, that's, that's too funny. Yeah. That's the, the scene I'm thinking of. And I'm just like, oh man, I'm feeling, but I I'm telling myself like my wife, it's not real. It's not real. He's, he's okay. He's okay. But yeah, that yeah. shows the mark of a great horror movie. Uh, I, I do just want to ask about one other person in uh, Terrifier 2. No spoilers, because I knew he was coming in, but I was surprised about when he came into the movie, Chris Jericho. Uh, yeah. yep, so yep. how did Chris Jericho get involved, and is he going to maybe be involved in future uh, funds, Fuzz on the Lens uh, projects? Yeah, uh, so for sure, yes to that question. That question. Um, we love Chris. Chris is amazing. Chris is a great guy. We were just with him at Fantastic Fest at the Terrifier um, uh, North American premiere down in Austin, Texas. Um, he's a huge supporter of Terrifier. He really is someone who pioneered this thing getting out there from the original. He watched it. He loved it. He enjoyed it. He would talk about it on his podcast. And uh, him and Damien really hit it off. And he said, dude, if there's ever a Terrifier 2, uh, I want in. And we were like, yeah, I mean, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, so that's where that kind of came from. And um, Damien came up with a nice role for him, um, a fun role. And uh, there's more, I think, that can be ex explored there with him in that role. Uh, Terrifier 3, we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's it, that scene is, um, it's an interesting, gruesome scene is what I'll say. And it's a really perfect, I think, ending to the whole film and will bring us into what we're looking to do with part three. I can't wait. Any um, obviously, it's the million dollar question: Is it being written now, or when could we possibly see? There are rumors about it maybe being two films. Uh, what can you? Tell I just us? heard this. I heard this from Damien firsthand. Uh, that rumor is true that that it could potentially be a, a, a you know like a Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter A and B Kill Bill kind of thing. Bill, Bill uh, you know, whether it's three and four or three A and three B, whatever. Not sure yet. I know we don't want to do another two hour and 18 minute movie. Um, maybe that stays at three. Damien always had the idea of doing a trilogy. There's so many ideas that are bouncing around right now. So it's still it's all hearsay right now. But there is a treatment. We know where it wants to go. Damien has a very um, distinct plan. He knows where it's ending. I know where it's ending through him. I know a lot of it. I know some of it I don't know um, because he's still figuring it out. Um, hmm. But uh, there will be a Terrifier 3. We're just not sure when we're going to do it yet. But no script, but definitely a treatment, um, definitely a direction, and definitely we know the ending. Awesome. And, and what about Scream? catch us up on when can we stream that or see yeah that? so hopefully this time well really halloween time fall time next year okay. 2023 same kind of you know plan that just happened with terrifier we're mostly in post-production um we have a few little pickup days left about one or two of just um getting a shot here or there upping some of the effects some things we couldn't do during production um, we have a full cut of the film already done. It's going through the score and it's going through the sound design and the VFX, no VFX with the gore and blood and stuff, VFX, because it's, it's a computer based kind of movie. So a lot of screen replacement, things like that. Got it. Um, but you know, like I said, this is from majority of the terrifier and terrifier Two uh, production team all is involved in stream. Uh, Damien's doing all the effects and he's a producer and, and Phil Falcone and George Stuber and myself, Jason and Steve and uh, Joe Marshall, who's on Terrifier One. So uh, we're also talking to a bunch of different composers now and getting things ready. So, and there's some cast, like I said, Wesley Holloway is involved and he's in this uh, stream and Terrifier Two, myself, Jason, Steve, 
Um, so there's a lot of crossover. And the thing I want people to know most is this is not Terrifier. It's a totally different film. David Howard Thornton's in it. He's not Art the Clown. He's another killer. Um, not Terrifier, but delivers on the kills. Um, so we want everyone to know when they go to see this to understand this isn't Terrifier 3. You know, we don't want to kind of redo the same thing. We want to do something fresh and show people, hey, we can contribute to the horror genre in many different ways. I'm super excited about it. Um, and I'm really excited to to bring a new franchise uh, and hopefully start something up that, you know, with the same success as Terrifier Two and Terrifier. So uh, we actually launched an Indiegogo campaign for finishing funds last year. It was really successful. We brought in over $120,000, which is insanity. Uh, it's still open for anybody who wants to get some merch or be a producer or, you know, all that kind of fun stuff um, to help us in the post-production process to get it finished. So you could check that out. You could see everybody who's involved in the cast in the crew and at the same token you get to see some behind the scenes and see really what we're putting together and what we're working on i love that the behind the scenes and i appreciate you sharing some of the behind the scenes today on the uh, debut episode of appetite for horror yeah uh but really real quick then since i, I gotta cross uh, promote for a bit you have a favorite guns and roses song I'm going to throw this in Appetite for Distortion. Are you a Guns N' Roses fan at all? I am. I am. Uh, I have to say welcome to the jungle, right? I mean, that's sure. uh reason being is uh, it's near and dear to my heart because I went to, as I mentioned, Monsignor Farrell High School here in Staten Island, New York, and our mascot is a lion, and we call our stadium the Lion's Den. Sure. And so we would play welcome to the jungle every time our football team or sports teams would run out. So. Got to go with uh, got to go with that. Look at that. I use what's called I, I phrase it as six degrees of GNR bacon on the appetite. So I got it with the uh, one of the producer, the director, the the first um, I guess. What's the, what the title? The first assistant director of Terrifier 2? Yep, yep. I was okay. the first assistant director, so I'm the the assistant director of Terrifier Two, um, working hand in hand with with Damien and Phil, um, and and also a producer, and uh, obviously my production company uh, put it together as well. As I get into doing more of these uh, mo um, movie and theater interviews, because I'm a radio guy, I know this is like all these different titles for for movies and stuff. So I got to get my head around that. I know all the radio names and lingo. So I'm like, right, I don't right. Know. It's a whole new. It is. It's its own terms. Like I learned when I was just getting into the film world. They kept saying, "Hey, get that stinger," and I kept saying, "What the hell is a stinger? It's an extension cord." <laughs> And, and and bullets, get the bullets, and the bullets are clothespins, so you can clip mm. certain things up, like to lighting, you know, um, gels and stuff. So uh, every industry has their own lingo and their own terms, so it gets tricky <laughs> you know, in the beginning. That's okay. Well, I'm figuring it out as I go. I, it's episode number one, so... I'm gonna. I'm gonna end. You're doing good, first assistant director. You did good. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I like to end whether I've been on FM radio, classic rock, or my podcast with a certain quote or a saying. So I'm gonna try this out. Uh, a quote from my favorite movie, horror movie of all time, Killer Clowns from Out of Space. I don't know, Pooh. You know, there's something kind of peculiar around here. <laughs>